about, about verse 21 in that, in that area. We're coming up on, well, we're coming, excuse me, 19. We're coming up on 20 in just a minute. And Tim, you came in, that reminds me, you wanna, the dollar collection. Okay, getting back to this. It, now, I'm, I'm sure you've seen people that have crystals hanging in there off their rear view mirror in the car and like that. And, uh, and they're, they're beautiful. The way light shines through a crystal is beautiful. But if we're looking for spiritual guidance from an inanimate object, we have... I think we have a problem. And I like to encourage people to, to leave those things somewhere else. You know, not, not to rely on them. And certainly, certainly enjoy the beauty that God's put in a crystal, but that's all it is. It's an inanimate stone, cut and polished with no mystical or spiritual advantage. And there are other, other icons. I won't get into some of those. You, you know what they are. But Isaiah tells us how absurd to think that the dead can do anything for anyone. And I told you before, it's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? I have a good friend that regularly and religiously spends time at the cemetery talking to his dead wife and talks to her about what's going on in his life. And I can't, and I won't even try to tell him how futile this practice is because I don't want to lose his friendship. And uh, I cherish his friendship I've known him for years. And apparently his, his religion condones such a practice and maybe even encourages it. I'm not sure. But that's up to him and it's not for me to judge. It's not for me. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Chapter 9, verse 5 and 6 says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Please don't think I'm, that I'm saying that our memories of the dearly departed are not proper. It's just that those memories should be encouragers for us to live out our time as God so lovingly directs us. God, through his prophet Isaiah, directed his chosen people to consult 
his oracles, his laws, his commandments, and his teachings, so they might have a joyful life. As difficult as these times seem, the same God is on his throne as he was then and as he will ever be when everything else has passed away he will still be on his throne we will never be drawn to wizards or mediums if we remember to use our Bibles which I'm sure I'm in fact positive all of you know it's just a reminder to me because sometimes I turn to his word a little bit later than I should have. Instead of turning to his word first, I wait until I'm in trouble and then I, then I run for his word. But I'm sure that doesn't happen with any of you. Okay, verses 20 to 22. To the law and to the testimony... If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, and they shall pass through it hardly bested and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God, and look upward, and they shall look downward into the earth, and behold trouble and darkness dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. How should we seek God and the knowledge of his holy word? How can we know his thoughts and his will for us? The only way, of course, is to look to the law and his testimonies, the testimonies of Scripture, to make them our counselors, our advisors, and to follow them. It shouldn't be a mystery to anyone, especially anyone of God's people, if we might look into God's holy word, there we will find what is good and what God requires of us. It's not a mystery, is it? And if we're using that source of direction, we can see that we need to speak according to his word, making it our standard of conduct, even our guide to understand, to understanding what he wants us to do. We must conform to this standard put in place for us. Take our advice from it. Make our appeals to it and all we do to be overruled by it. Determine to consent to those wholesome healing words and speak of the things of God in the very words the Holy Spirit teaches us to use. Knowing what God demands of us. What he requires of us in our daily conduct and conversation. It is not enough 
that we must speak clearly according to his word, his holy word, the holy Bible. But we must do it at every opportunity he gives us. Now be careful, because if we do not, we will stand convicted of disobedience on the day of judgment. If we don't do as he's told us to do, if we're not obedient, we're going to have to answer for that on the day of judgment. It won't stop our, from what I can read, it won't stop our salvation at all. But when we do get there, remember, one day we're going to face Jesus on his throne. And he's going to want an accounting of what we've said and what we've done. I like what Joshua said in chapter 24, verse 15 of, of Joshua. Choose you this day whom you, you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Boy, what a, what a, I wish I could say that I remember that every day. I wish I could say that that was part of my daily prayer. I'm going to try to make it that way. Try to encourage you to do the same. We will serve the Lord. Isaiah tells us that those who do not know the Lord have no light in them. They are in darkness because of their disobedience and their refusal to hear and apply God's words to their lives. They shall not only be in the darkness, but comfortless and live lives of horror and misery. The trouble they feared will come upon them and they will wander aimlessly with no direction or hope of finding a way out of their self-inflicted troubles and will not know where to turn for even the most basic needs of life. A good man may find himself in want from time to time but he will quiet himself and ask God for help, knowing that God is able to satisfy his needs. Those that go away from God go out of the way of all good. They will be very uneasy about whatever they're doing and where they're going. They will be discontented, impatient with themselves and everyone else, and will fret themselves about every part of their lives. They will not have peace in their lives or in their souls, having known God and then going away from him, from his presence. Again, a careful one here. 
refusing to obey him and then denying him is one way of grieving the spirit for which sin there is no forgiveness unless there is full and complete repentance and restoration. And I'm not even sure that is possible. Because I remember hearing at one time that grieving the Holy Spirit is the one unforgivable sin. And the Lord has led me to Matthew chapter 12. You might want to turn there, but Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Now in my Bible, these words are in red, meaning these are words spoken by Jesus. And Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but... But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is denying that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin because a person can be saved only through the Holy Spirit's work. To refuse to repent or even acknowledge our sins is to refuse God's forgiveness. Forgive God's forgiveness is to refuse it. Sometimes believers worry that they have accidentally committed this unforgivable sin. But the good word is, only those who have turned their backs on God and rejected all faith have any need to worry. Jesus said they can't be forgiven not because their sin is worse than any other, but because they will never ask for forgiveness. Whoever rejects the prompting of the Holy Spirit removes himself from the only force that can lead him to repentance and restoration to God. Pastor, you have any comments on that? Thank you. Now, can you imagine living in the total absence of light? Not being able to tell if it was day or night. Which way is up or down? 
where to find food or drink, or even where the bathroom might be. When anyone refuses God, the light is not in them, and they live in total confusion. They may think they are doing fine, but they will suffer terribly in their self-imposed darkness. Then they will curse those in authority over them and blaspheme God by cursing him, refusing to acknowledge that their sins are their cause of their misery. You may know or have known people like that, but I hope not. They can look up or down and not find what or whom they need when they remain out of the light, staying in the darkness. Matthew Henry says, those that shut their eyes against the light of God's word will justly be abandoned to darkness and left to wander endlessly. Any comments or questions at all? Okay, well, we're going to start chapter 9 now. We've got a few minutes. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, I, I do. <laughs> you know? And you know, it comes back to what he said about self-imposed. You know, that's so, so sad. I, I'm, I'm afraid that Many of us might have family or, or close friends that just refuse, who, who, who think, think they've got it all. They think that nothing beyond them, they can do anything, anytime, any way, with anyone that they want to. And, you know, it's so sad because you know that they're lost. And with his example here, 
you know they're in the darkness. It's, it's, it really is something to be very sad about. But if any of you have ever tried to convince someone of the truth and been rejected, you know how, for me, that makes me even more sad. You know, what have I done wrong that they didn't understand me? And it's not me. It's not me. They need the touch of God. They need the Holy Spirit to touch their hearts and their minds that they have some chance of, of to me, peace. You know, we sing that song, peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. It doesn't come from beating your enemies. It doesn't come from cheating the IRS. It doesn't come from any of these things out there. It comes from God. Oh, how we need to pray for family and friends that, that don't know him. At some point, while they're still here, they'll allow God to touch them. Isaiah in chapter 9, which remember now is a continuation of 8, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, are all one long sermon. And uh, I don't know what, that we'll even finish that because, do you know, does Pastor Palmer come back the, the first of March or the other end? The middle. Okay. Maybe we'll make it. <laughs> but we'll certainly try. In chapter 9, verse 1, Isaiah says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first light, at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, as I said, as we begin this, remember it's a continuation. Remember, chapter 8 ended with kind of a dark, melancholy, and discouraging aspect. But also there's the implied note there that to the upright there shall arise light in the darkness. Psalm 112, verse 4 tells us, Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. He, that the psalmist says is gracious, is none other than our Messiah, Jesus. The light that shines in the darkness. 
Those who consult the forces of darkness will be led onto the path of darkness. Now, this darkness is not necessarily hell. It can be, in this life, despair, judgment, trouble, or anguish. Fortunately for us, the Lord might not always take us around our troubles, but if we follow him and allow him to direct our path, he will lead us safely through whatever problems we run into. Remember Psalm 23 says in part, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Isaiah, if you'll notice in, chapter, in verse 1, gives his people a nevertheless. I love that. No matter what's happening, nevertheless. He did it to comfort Judah with something to diminish their fears and troubles, leaving them with a the knowledge that while they have been persecuted, they are not forsaken. They have been, may have been sorrowful, yet they always had something to be joyful about. He who forms the light and creates the darkness set one against the other as in, and has appointed bounds for both light and darkness. Likewise, he has set bounds for all spec aspects of darkness that his people may face. You'll find that in, in Genesis where he set bounds for day and night, the light and the darkness. Boy, I'm glad he gave us darkness. I need my sleep. Okay. I don't know if we got time for all three, but there's three promises that are included in the first four verses of chapter 9. Just as we have the blessed assurance of Christ's second coming, God gives Isaiah the promise of the Messiah's first coming. The first promise is of a glorious light that would dispel the dimness and darkness which had troubled Judah. A light that would, at least gradually, overcome the horrible times they had faced during and following their unmerciful defeat and captivity. Have you noticed that when God finds it necessary to afflict his disobedient, disobedient children, he tries first to convince them, convince us, of their errors gently, hoping that they will respond by changing their ways in obedience to him. Have you noticed that? All too often, though, he has to hammer them with much stronger and decisive steps because they refuse his warnings. Again, thinking somehow they will survive 
without obeying. We know that when God judges, he will overcome. He is the Almighty, the great I Am. Verse 2 tells us that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. We find in 2 Chronicles chapter 15 that Israel had been without a true God and a true teaching priest. And then in those days, there was no peace. Fortunately, there were many prophets in the days of Isaiah, and their prophecies were a great light to those that adhered to the law and the testimony. Although they had sat in darkness and dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, they knew there was coming a Messiah. And that prophecy would be filled when our Lord Jesus would appear and settle in the area of Zebulun, Naphtali, and Galilee, teaching and performing miracles. The second promise is in verse 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. The joy before thee, according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. The strength of a nation lies in its population. And if the population increase is met with increased wealth because they are industrious, then the nation will have reason to rejoice in the fact that God has blessed them. Now, this is Jim. I don't think personally, however, that increased wealth for most people brings happiness rather than joy. Joy to me comes from being close to God. While happiness comes more from having earthly goods and more of them than before. Farming is hard work, day in and day out. And therefore, farmers have reason to be happy with their harvest. If they have faithfully committed their hard work and their crops to the Lord and his care, then I can see reason for saying they have joy in the harvest. I hope I haven't confused anyone this, with this diversion from Isaiah's wording. Perhaps I should be reading Isaiah's words differently so as to see that with all the hard work and patience required of farmers, that there is reason for them to have joy in the reward for their hard work. Also, soldiers have to perform their duties, no matter how difficult or dangerous they might be before they can divide the spoils. They have to win the battle in order to receive their rewards or spoils. And the Bible tells repeatedly of the conquerors dividing the spoils 
and returning home with much wealth, the reward for their service and bravery in battle. And it's time to make a mark and say next week. So next week we'll we'll pick up with uh, chapter nine, verses four, five, and then a special on verse six. Any questions or comments right now? Pastor? Isn't it great to have Pastor?